0: I encourage you, if, you're, if you have your Bibles, to turn in them with me once again to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, there are some Bibles available on the back table, or you can follow along in your insert uh, this morning. Ecclesiastes, uh, we just made it through uh, half of the first chapter last week. We began studying this book of wisdom uh, looking at the first 11 verses which served as an introduction to the book. They served in some ways as the conclusion uh, to the book. And they also gave us uh, two key phrases which will help us understand the book every week. The phrase under the sun and the phrase vanity. We looked and we thought and we meditated last week on the fact that life Is frustrating and short. Life is a vapor. Life is something that comes and goes, and there's really no gain. There is no real satisfaction to be found, and there is ultimately nothing new. You'll remember, those of you who are here, that while the passage and the preacher, in some sense, as we stopped. At the end of verse 11, as as He left us there, I didn't leave us there. I didn't leave us in that state of hopelessness. And and neither does the preacher ultimately. Remember one of the key phrases He gave us was under the sun. In other words, life without God is ultimately a vapor with no gain with no satisfaction and with nothing new. But I reminded us last week that that is not the plight of we who sit in this room this morning. That is not the experience of those who are in Jesus. Because in Jesus, we have an anchor. Something solid. Something that counteracts the the vapor and the poof of this life. We can have... Real fruit, we can have true satisfaction, we can have newness of life. And I want to tell you up front at the beginning that as we walk through this cynical book, this book of reflections, I'm never going to let us walk out of this room with that cynicism in our minds. We're never going to veer too far from the right perspective. The preacher may be slow to take us there, but I'm not going to be. We're here this morning because life is not hopeless. Because we are people filled with hope because of the resurrection and the power that that proved. And so let's listen again to this portion of Ecclesiastes. We're going to start today in verse 12 and read down through verse 18, and then we're going to skip into chapter 2, verse 12, down to verse 17. So listen as I read. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Verse 12, So I turn to consider wisdom, and madness and folly, for what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, and yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and a striving after wind. Amen. This is the Word of the Lord. Like many of you, I suspect in this room, I hope like many of you, I try to avoid the mall like the plague. But every once in a while, I get sucked into the mall. And of course, once you get into the mall, you come out smelling like Abercrombie and Finch just because you walked by that store, not because you went in that store. And the last time I was in our local mall, the Alderwood Mall, I noticed that we have a as-seen-on-TV store. I don't know if you've ever seen these stores. I don't know if you're aware that we had one of these stores. There are few stores more fascinating and ridiculous as the as-seen-on-TV stores. Now you have a reason to go to the mall. As-seen-on-TV essentially means this was on an infomercial, Probably. I don't want to knock all products that are espoused on infomercials. Some of you may benefit from some products that you saw on an infomercial. But this fact is true, I've realized, about infomercials and about the as-seen-on-TV products. They act like they've got it all figured out. They've figured out how to lose... That pesky weight that has plagued people for generations. You've got the slimming sauna shorts, you've got the tummy tuck belt, and you've got got the Garcinia cambogia, that's a tree by the way, topical patch. All to take care once and for all of your weight. They figured out that hair loss problem, and I need some of this stuff. You've got the sure thick hair thickening fibers and my secret hair enhancer, which is essentially a can of spray paint for your hair. (laughs) My simple point is this. These are products that claim, often in audacious ways, that they have the answers. These things in life that frustrate us, these things in life that have frustrated humanity before us, They can be licked. They can be figured out. They can be done away with. Well, while the attempt may be valiant, you and I know that that's simply not true. It's not that easy. They haven't figured it all out and probably never will. It's kind of a silly way for me to bring us to a serious reality The serious thing that the preacher aims at us here in this passage this morning. Really, it's one word limits. The frustrating reality of limits. The preacher has already stated his conclusion in the book vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And now he's going to launch in the rest of the book, he's going to launch into how he got there. How he arrived at that conclusion. And slowly, he is going to dismantle the illusion that life has any kind of meaning without God. And so this morning as we look at these two sections of Ecclesiastes 1 and 2, I want us to think about two truths that I believe the Lord wants us to remember and meditate on this morning. And the first one is this. We are bound by our limits. We in this room are bound by our limits. We We don't want to be. We don't want to talk about our limits. In fact, think about it. Hollywood dreams and prods us to think about a life without limits. Some of our favorite movies, some of my favorite movies are the Bourne movies. If you know anything about the Bourne movies, these secret agents, what do they do? They they take two pills. One pill makes them stronger physically, able to react quicker. The other pill makes them mentally sharper than everyone else around them. They rise above the limits. But even in those movies, the limits eventually go so far. You see, limits is a reality that we must come to grips with. We are bound by our limits. As we come to verse 12 in chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, it's in a sense a restart to the book. It's a restart to the book. Verses 1-11 through summarize the findings, and now we back up. We back up to the quest. The quest for meaning. And it's important that we understand who is taking us on this quest. If we go on a tour, we want to make sure our tour guide knows what he's talking about. Knows that his information is qualified for the job. And so the preacher essentially begins with his credentials. Solomon, that's who I already said, believe, I believe, wrote the book. The preacher says, I am not some raving lunatic. I am not some green, unseasoned youth. I am the king of Israel in Jerusalem. And we say, okay. You're probably someone that we could listen to. But more than that, he says, I went after this. I didn't just sit on my throne and and throw around edicts and get other people to do this. I resolved to try to get to the bottom of life, to figure it out. And I devoted myself to this pursuit, he says in verses 12 and 13 and on. And the vehicle that I used, that I began with in this pursuit of meaning, was my mind. Was my mind and wisdom. And I looked at wisdom from every possible angle, the preacher says. Even from the antithesis of wisdom. From madness and folly, he says. And I went after this. What is life about? Now we'll learn next week and in the weeks to come, that his quest will include more than just the mind. More than just wisdom. But that's where he begins with. And that's where he takes us this morning. And if we're talking about Solomon, there is no better man, there is no better tour guide equipped to teach us about this. Remember what the Lord said to Solomon in 1 Kings 3? The Lord said, Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall go after you. So we've got a qualified guide who has already completed his quest. And what's his confession? What's his conclusion? It's this. I hit a wall. I could only get so far. With all of my smarts, I hit the frustrating limits of life. That's what he says. We are bound by our limits. And I want us to think under this first truth, I want us to think of the three areas that he leads us to consider in regards to our limits. So these are three sub-points Under the first point. Three ways. The first, the limits of our understanding. Solomon says, we are limited in our understanding. Bottom line, the search for meaning under the sun comes up empty every single time. There's no getting around it. He says, there is... It is an unhappy business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. Now, let's just pick apart that verse, because it's kind of a unique verse. First of all, here we have a striking inclusion of God. It's the first time God is mentioned in the book. He lies in the background of this book, but as we spoke about last week, this is the first acknowledgment God is the one behind these limits. God is the one who's behind this unhappy business. And really, unhappy business is kind of a tame translation. We could actually put it more strongly. A work of affliction. A burdensome task. You see, the preacher is saying, God has built into every man and woman in this world, on this planet, the desire to search out meaning. To ask questions. Why? What is this all about? Where does this ultimately lead? And he's saying, ultimately, you're going to hit a dead end. Because I hit a dead end. Like the busy work, almost, that the substitute teacher gives when you have a substitute at school. Life has a lot of activity, but it has no ultimate substance. One of the verses in seminary that seminarians love to toss around over and over and over again is Deuteronomy 29.29. The secret things belong to the Lord. We are limited in our understanding. That's the 1st subpoint. The second, we are limited in our existence, the preacher says. In verse 15, he quotes a proverb. Maybe it's a proverb that he himself has penned. Verse 15, look at it there. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. It's a proverb that reminds us that we are bound by our limits. We live in a world, the proverb says, that is bent. It's crooked. In other words, we can't fix ourselves. Turn on the evening news, or not, probably not, but turn on the evening news. Shootings, migrant crises, the constant threat of terrorism. We have all these problems that we can't figure out. We have a limit. We have limits in our existence. And we come up with solutions. Some think we have it figured out, just more gun control, tighter borders, more security. Everyone has their fix. But ultimately, they're band-aids on a wound that originates in our hearts. What's crooked cannot be made straight. Our world is riddled with sin. Sinners including us. And its crookedness cannot just be straightened out by the wisest of leadership and the cleverest of ideas. Even the good things that we come up with in our world end up lacking, the preacher says. As much as we want at times to make science and technology our God and our Savior, the smartest neurosurgeon in the, on the planet sometimes, have to, sometimes has to say, I'm sorry, but there's nothing we can do. We all were reminded last week that we are so easily powerless. You know, bad weather is a great reminder for us of the limits of our existence. One gust can bring us to our knees. You probably know that recently there has been a resurgence of superhero movies. You'd know this even more if you had boys in your house. But all of you, I suspect, know. We've had superheroes around for a while, but recently Marvel and DC have really ratcheted it up in regards to superhero movies. And as I've thought about this, I think superhero movies, we love them so much, in part because of exactly what the preacher is saying here. I mean, I know there is a draw for the special effects. There's a draw for the action. But ultimately, it's the story. It's the story that strikes a chord with us. It's simply this. We want, we need, and we know it. We need a person, a group, that will help us fix what is broken in our world. That will help us do what is beyond ourselves to do. And so we love these saviors, these ones who go outside of the limits that we are bound to. And we love them especially because it's salvation on our own terms. And it's salvation in our own making. Because we are bound by our limits. Limits in understanding. Limits in our existence. Limits in our ability to fix what is broken. The preacher gives one final instruction in verse 14. The wise person has his eyes and his head but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. What is the event? What is he speaking of at the end of verse 14? Well, look with me at the end of verse 16 of chapter 2. How the wise dies just like the fool. We are bound by our limits. In our understanding, in our existence, in our ability to straighten what's been crooked and bent. And lastly, the inevitability of death. The preacher ponders and thinks about the fact that death is the great equalizer. It is inescapable for all. Not only that, but it's the great eraser. Everything that you've stored, everything that you've built, will be handed to someone else, and eventually, where it came from, namely you, will be forgotten. I picked up a book recently by a guy named Russell Moore. He's the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Council of the Southern Baptist Convention. Sharp, sharp guy. And he wrote a book recently, just this year, called Onward, Engaging the Culture Without Losing the Gospel. Really good book. But he writes to this very point. The book isn't about Ecclesiastes, but I, I found this paragraph so striking. Listen as I quote it. He says, I don't know who you are reading this page right now, but I know this. There's a cemetery plot out there somewhere, maybe not even set aside yet, waiting for your corpse. One day, no matter who you are and what you're doing, you will be quite dead. And in a hundred years, chances are, no one will remember your name, including the people who carry your genes in their bloodstreams. The universe seems to be conspiring against you in everything from the natural forces that are sapping the color from your hair to the bacteria that will eventually grind your body to a maggoty pulp. The universe is trying to kill you And it will. Something has gone terribly wrong. Well said, Dr. Moore. This is the angst of the preacher. We're bound by our limits. And the end of those limits is death. The more wisdom he gains, he says, the more he doesn't understand, the further away from the answers he seems to be and the more frustrating life is to the point where he says, I hate life. So how do we respond? That's the bad news. That's the cynical, pessimistic news. Is there any good news this morning? Well, you know there is. Yes, we are bound by our limits. That's a reality in our lives. But bound by limits before a God who loves us is not scary. And so the whys, all the questions, all the angst must inevitably lead to the who. And that's what I want to leave with you with this morning. The second truth from this passage that underlies this passage. Yes, we are bound by our limits. But, our limits lead us to freedom. Our limits lead us to freedom. The end of us brings us to the reality of God. The acknowledgement of our limitations, of our creaturely existence, must lead us, is designed to lead us to the Creator, to the limitless One. Yes, we are bound, but we are free. And this is wisdom. This is true wisdom. The fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1, seven. Christ is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge the Apostle Paul writes to the church. And so thinking back upon those categories of our limitations. Yes, we are limited in our understanding. Life is so often a mystery There is so much that we don't know that I wish we knew. There is so much about your lives that I wish I knew what was going on. But friends, we are sons and daughters of the Most High whose ways are not our ways, but He loves us passionately through His Son. Yes, we are limited in our existence, in our ability to make things right, but the anchor that is Christ is also our rudder. He's also the one who is guiding us in the broken places. He is there with us. James 1, a familiar passage to many of you, encourages us to count it all joy when we face trials because we know that God is producing in us fruit. Not only that, but it's meant to drive us to Him. Right? If anyone lacks wisdom, come to me. Ask me. And then finally, yes, death is coming. But for those who are in Christ, death is done. It's done. John Donne wrote a great poem. You might be familiar with it. I became familiar with it through a song that was written about it. And I dug found it and want to read some of it to you. This is John Donne. It's entitled, Death Be Not Proud. He says, Death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkest thou dost overthrow, die not, poor death, nor yet canst thou kill me. One short sleep past we wake eternally and death shall be no more death thou shalt die That's our reality And so the end that death brings is freedom for those who are in Christ and the only remembrance that you need to be worried about is not remembrance on this earth, but remembrance before the one who is preparing a place for you and is eager to usher you into your inheritance that's waiting. So while we empathize with the limitations of our life. We, we can't stay there. We can't stay there in our own hearts. We can't stay there in our conversations with other, others. Yes, ponder your limitations. Hear what the preacher says about life under the sun, but rejoice that that's not the end of the story, but that you serve a God who gives them purpose. You and I have hope. You and I don't have it all figured out. We acknowledge that and we live in that humility. But it's humility before one who is limitless. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning for the reminder, the simple reminder that we are the creatures and You are the Creator. And because of that, the mysteries of life, the frustrations of life, the limits in our understanding and in our ability are actually joy. Father, give us faith. Give us trust to rest in you. Give us boldness. Give us opportunity to speak. To speak this reality to those around us. To those who are desperately searching. To those who we know are eventually just going to come to a dead end. May we lead them to life. Oh Father, do Your work in us. And through us we pray in Your grace, by the power of Your Spirit, and because of Your Son. Amen.